want to welcome all of our listeners back to our year-end hot dish podcast, where we're going to do just kind of a little round robin with our great um, uh, board of directors to talk about kind of where we are right now, what we're looking forward to in the new, in the new year, and maybe do a little bit of um, a little bit of analysis on what happened in the last election. And so I want to kind of start out and uh, ask uh, my great friend and uh, co-founder, Joe Donnelly, to maybe offer some uh, words of introduction and, and give us a sense of what he saw from his vantage point in a very uh, rural and, and red state of Indiana in this last election. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Joe. Well, Heidi, thank you so very, very much. And, and um what what I think we saw in the election is just, again, how critical rural communities are to the future success, not only of America, um, obviously, first and foremost, and most important, um, but to the Democratic Party as well, that this election came down to, as um, we've been saying for a long time at One Country, it's going to come down to a lot of our rural communities and how well we do there. And so. Um, you go to places like North Carolina, places like Georgia, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, you know, rural communities in Arizona. That's where uh, the rubber met the road, as they say. And so um, when we do well in rural communities, and, and well doesn't necessarily mean we have to win that county. It just means we had to do a little bit better. And people, people like Joe Biden, they felt comfortable with him. They knew that uh, Joe is just regular Joe. And so um, those are the kind of things that help to get him across the finish line. And I think just reemphasizes again, one country for a while has been saying how critical the rural communities would be to the election. And it proved out exactly right, Heidi. Yeah, and, and, and we're going to come back, Joe, and talk a little bit about kind of um, where we didn't do so well. I mean, I think I think we can all agree that when we look at the numbers, Joe Biden did better than Hillary. But the reality is that uh, Donald Trump did better than Donald Trump in, in 2016 as well. And so, um, you know, the critical the critical messages that we need to deliver um, aren't going to aren't going to get delivered and heard in one election cycle. Ashton, you represent um, the great state of North Carolina. We all had a lot of hope for North Carolina. I think um, some strides were made. Obviously, you were able to keep your governor, but um, maybe you can tell us from your perspective as a state legislator and really as somebody who is in one of those states that everybody's going to watch very closely moving forward. How do you think we? did in rural America? And what do you see uh, kind of moving forward for the great state of uh, North Carolina? Um, yes, thank you for having me on this conversation and for all the work of one country through the uh, past election here in our state. I think uh, we saw in North Carolina a lot of what we saw across the country. I um, We did better in some of our rural parts than we had in the election prior, though not good enough. And um, I think North Carolina remains a purple state. Uh, we D Donald Trump won in 2016 by about four percentage points, and then in 2020 by one and a half. So we did cut his lead down, even with record turnout of Republicans in our state. And we elected a Democratic governor and Democratic attorney general. 
but in our state legislature, we actually lost four seats in the North Carolina House. And so, um, you know, we are a state that has, like many of our states across the country, some urban centers and a lot of rural space and rural communities. And our party needs to continue to work uh, to lessen the margins in some of our counties. And we're looking you know, county by county and area by area, where did Biden make progress? And then we have counties where Trump, you know, increased his share of the vote as well. And we need to learn more about that. So I think we are reflective. Uh, We saw some good news, but overall, not enough good news and still much work to do. So Ashton, I want to ask you, you know, we've, we've been talking, Joe and I have been talking a lot about how Senate races, which used to not be national focus, you know, it used to be that a senator could get elected in Indiana and North Carolina without electing the president. We know now, other than um, uh, uh, Susan Collins, that again, that trend continued. However, the state voted for the president, that's the, the party that's going to be represented in the election for the United States Senate. But coming from local uh, and, and statewide or, or from the state house, can you give me a perspective on whether you think that these state elections and, and elections in legislative districts have become nationalized as well on, on many of these issues? Uh, Yes, I think we do feel like in the past few years, the state legislative races and our state, you know, council of state judicial races across our state are more nationalized than they have been in the past. Uh, And, you know, we elected Democrats as secretary of state and state auditor and attorney general and governor. So like it shows that we that is not a, you know, a done deal. But I do think much more than we would want, people voted up and down the ticket with a national mindset. Um, and so that that leads us to much work to do, I think, uh, in communities like mine and across the country. I do have to say that it is encouraging that you saw some split ticket voting, not that we wanted anyone to vote for um, for President Trump, but you saw some people who were willing to um, vote for uh, statewide candidates in North Carolina um, uh, that were Democrats and also voted for Trump, which is very rare, actually. And you saw in Montana, um, we lost the governorship in Montana, um, I think had Trump uh, lost Montana, we would have picked up that governor, uh, that governor's seat. But North Carolina has been running contrary to trend. But your governor also didn't do as well as what the polls were going to tell us he was going or d- told us he would do. So I think I think we have to analyze what that crossover voting actually looked like in North Carolina. Have you looked at any of that, Ashton? We have, uh, we have, you know, we're waiting for total voter file updates um, before we are making conclusive uh, decisions or thoughts, but we are looking at that. And even in my county, we have a district that's the same district and we voted Democrat for county commission and Republican for school board. So, you know, we need to go and talk to those people and learn how and why they're making the decisions they're making. Um, and then use what we learned to to think forward. Uh, and the thing I was going to say is, you know, we are already looking at 2022 and the U.S. Senate race here. So the work, uh, no rest for the weary, right? 
<laughs> well, I think there's going to be a lot of competition for um, for the in in the primary, probably on both sides, and so you'll have a lot of enthusiasm, and I think a great opportunity again for those of us who. Re, at one country who really care about North Carolina and care about you in particular to um, know how we can be helpful in delivering a message that could maybe turn some of these counties around that Cal Cunningham lost by big margins and, and spend a little more time kind of talking the substance of the issues. Now it'll, you know, it, midterms are always tricky and we'll continue to uh, take a look. I'm going to turn to JD. JD, uh, uh, you know, when I watched the election returns, I watched two things. How was Biden doing and how were you doing? Um, we had great hope. And obviously, um, the, 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 uh, the reality is that your, um, you know, the, the, the likely opponent we thought you were going to draw, which was uh, Steve King, um, who um, is a lightning rod for absolutely being out on the fringe wasn't the candidate that you got, but yet you still did pretty well um, in, in uh, your Northern Iowa district. What, what, what did you learn this time compared to the last time that you ran and, and what, what kind of vision can you give us um, here at one country going forward, things that you learned that we might be able to expand on and improve on and uh, kind of make a difference in the next midterm? Well, you've hit on a, a few points that I think uh, I would like to focus on, like when we talk about polling, and we had uh, polling in the state and polling in our district that w was drastically different than what uh, occurred. And I think something we got to figure that out, especially as a party, uh, to figure out to see where we're at. Um, I mean, we this uh, the whole state of Iowa was hit by a Trump wave, and, and there are certain counties that I... I uh, focus on. We have a, a, a Carroll County here, which voted for Obama in 08 uh, by 51%, and it, uh, Trump got 68%. And and we we just we saw that throughout the entire state. And, and so uh, you know the big difference between 2018 and, and 2020, uh, we outperformed the top of the ticket in 2018 by 17%. And and again, it was a different candidate. Uh, this time we we still did by 5%. But it, it was uh, this time it was completely a base election where last time we had more of a persuasion election. And so uh, what ultimately mattered was, were you on the side of Donald Trump or were you not? And that was pretty much it. And uh, it was a rude awakening for, for Democrats here in the state of Iowa. And so we're trying to figure out uh, in the state, Iowa Democrats are trying to figure out what's next. Uh, but then you look across the nation over 2018 and 2020, and, and a lot of our policies, whether it's uh, Medicaid expansion in Nebraska, Idaho, and, and Utah, or uh, marijuana in South Dakota, or workers' rights uh, in Missouri, and then Florida with the $15 minimum wage, our policies are winning, but Democrats aren't. And, and I think we really need to do a deep dive into that. Isn't that the truth? And and it is it is so interesting. I, I think like, like we've talked at one country. When you look at which party has always been there for rural America, whether it is during the Great Depression, making sure that um, we're building uh, an opportunity to save our soils and and making sure that farm families are fed, whether it is taking a look at rural health care and and critical access hospital investment. I mean, you could just go down the line, but and 
these are all enormously popular things, but yet we just, and, and we run great candidates like you, JD, but yet we somehow cannot um, uh, change the image that I think has become so negative of the Democratic brand. I want to bring Joe Donnelly back in because he and I had this experience in um, on the on the branding issue. And, and we would both tell you that if you ask people to give positives and negatives about Heidi and Joe, the largest negative always showing up like in big, bright letters was that we're Democrats, not not our policies, not our, our character, but that we have that label of Democrats. How do we overcome that, Joe? That basically was it. And, you know, it'd be, boy, we sure love Heidi. Yeah, we love Joe. Yeah, he's of the wrong faith. You know, <laughs> he's sitting, ah, man. Um, but here's what, here's the problem I think that um, as a party we have, you know, we want to take a look at how can we do police work in a more sensitive way, for instance? How can we make it so that these men and women in blue that we or that we respect so much that we make it so that they focus on the most important aspects of their job and say other parts of it the 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 parking tickets and all of that stuff that it's done another place well we come up with the genius idea to call it to fund the police and then that is used against every democrat in the country and so culturally um we can't turn away from from who the the friends and neighbors we have in rural communities are they don't believe in that stuff and we know that that's not true that's not what that that it's it's not true the slogan but that's what we hear and so when the party as a whole is starting to think about how do we talk about issues maybe we ought to think twice and do it in a smarter way and 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 um for once think about how this plays in rural America and, and how we can make it so that um, policies that rural America would appreciate and support are talked about in a way that they would appreciate and support rather another way. And so we have to, um, we have to look to meet rural America um, in a cultural way as well, Heidi. Well, I, I, I totally agree. And I find it interesting, you know, um, President Obama has talked about kind of this, this um, that language matters. And the pushback has been pretty aggressive. And, you know, I, I, I've been uh, talking about how it's important that we look at getting things done. And the pushback I get is, well, you don't want to get anything done that we want to get done. And, and so I think, I, I mean, I don't know how we can continue to be a big tent, but yet communicate respectfully that many of the, this language, you know, whether it's defund the police or, you know, um, eliminate all of student debt or what, whatever it is, uh, debt, student debt forgiveness, which, you know, is not going to sell in rural America. Many of their, their kids either went to the military so that they could afford college or they didn't go to college and they wonder why they're paying for other people's college education. And, and so I think, I think that there's gotta be, you know, there's a level of, uh, of aggressiveness among kind of people who feel strongly about these issues. Um, and, and God love them. Thank you. I mean, you're pushing the envelope, you're trying to do the right thing, 
But there isn't a lot of sensitivity to what that means to the Democratic brand in places that if they want to be able to ever effectuate these policies, they're going to have to start winning again. And so this is, you know, it's always interesting because the age old uh, political uh, kind of wisdom was you you run in the primary at the left and then run to the middle. And and I think that there is there is now an aggressiveness um, and I, I, I probably get in trouble using that word, but there is now an aggressiveness on policy that that means that if you want the majority, you're not going to get the majority. Um, and and so I think that it affects not that the thing that we need to think about is it affects not only rural Iowa but it affects whether the, the North Carolina legislature is uh, has Democratic representation when you're in that really really important year of redistricting. So how do you how did you see kind of that Democratic brand Ashton in North Carolina? Um, did did. Uh, are you still hearing it? Are you going to start hearing it again as it amps up for this open Senate seat that you have? Um, how how can you, uh, you know, Democrats in North Carolina um, help define what the Democratic Party is in a way that will build back rural support for Democrats? Yes, I think it's probably one of the biggest questions we're going to have to answer as a state and country. Um, you all know as well as I do, lots of people will tell you, well, Democrats, quote unquote, need to do blank or blank. And it's difficult to, it's a huge group of people with all these different, you know, local organizations and statewide organizations. And um, so I think we are really going to have to look at uh, where are Democrats doing well? And for example, Governor Cooper uh, has been very focused and I think people trust him at their core to do what's right for the people of our state. And um, as the elections have become more nationalized, you know, I was working the polls on election day and that night, as it closed, and there was a truck, a pickup truck with several Trump flags and a man who was also working the polls as it was closing. And people would come out from voting and take their picture with the truck and the Trump flags and celebrate. And it really, I started to ask some questions. And I realized that people, there's an identity tied to how people are voting right now. Um, and so it, it, we can and should talk about the policies we care about, uh, but it's more about the values and the identity of the people of our state. And we need to do a better job creating narratives that value the vast diversity of identities uh, across our state and in the communities of North Carolina. And I, I hope that that's the work that we will be doing as we move forward and look at our next elections. Well, I, I think North Carolina, again, is going to be in the center of a lot of national discussion. It is, in fact, I think, a purple state. And, and um, you know, we want to we want to know, Ashton, how one country um, and and all of the people who support uh, uh, rural Democrats can help in North Carolina kind of carry that message. But I don't think you can understate or excuse me, overstate what you just said, that this this became about in many ways about your 
cultural identity, um, kind of where where you are, not about your economic uh, interest or your kind of um, uh, you know uh, party loyalty. It was about your identity, who who you identify with. And so, um, JD, I think you saw a lot of that in Iowa as well. Um, but you know, Iowa is so interesting because Iowa is a state that we're losing. You know, Indiana used to be a reliably uh, blue state. Um, back when unions basically voted for Democrats. And then we saw Indiana turn. The question is, is Ohio become Indiana? And, and you know, as a farm belt state, you know, what, what I mean, Trump or uh, Obama won Iowa twice and Trump now has won it twice. What do, what do you think we can do at one country, but what can um, the National Democratic Party do to help build back a better opportunity for Democrats like you to win in Iowa again? One thing that I saw like when we talk about Obama winning this, uh, he had 60 field offices in the state of Iowa. And this year we didn't do door knocking because of the pandemic. And, and it's just it goes to show like we got to be present and we're losing in areas, uh, all types of areas, but we're, we're specifically losing uh, in a lot of the mid-sized towns, the 20,000 town, uh, people towns, the uh, 10,000 uh, people towns uh, that we used to win in. And, it, and I think uh, we need to get back there. I, I think the other thing we saw from this election is it, it doesn't matter how much money you raise, <laughs> you, have to act, you have to have something else uh, to go with it. And, and we got to find a way to win. And with all that money, with the Senate races uh, that was raised, uh, Biden getting over a billion dollars. Uh, I mean, in, in Iowa, all four congressional races, the Democrat dramatically outraised their opponents. And so we got to put the candidates in the best uh, case scenario. And what we're seeing, what I would like to see is, is the roles a little bit more defined because campaigns come and go. And we can't just rely on a field program that starts maybe in July and, and goes to November. And so I would like to see the DNC or, or the, the state parties really, uh, and uh, this takes a lot of money and we got to fundraise for it, but it seems like it's out there by, by what happened this election cycle. But we got to have year-round organizers. And, and that's something that I'm pushing. Uh, we're, we have an uh, election for the new uh, Iowa Democratic Party chair. Uh, coming up. And, and that's one thing I'm really trying to shape the conversation. And, and so uh, that's one side of it. The other side of it, too, I feel the amount of uh, mis or disinformation that's out there. Uh, the majority of the, the largest radio stations in the state of Iowa have talk radio on it. And it's, it's uh, I mean, it's Rush Limbaugh, it's Sean Hannity, and it's, it's, it's local stuff, too. And it's, it's six, eight hours a day uh, of this stuff. And we just don't have a counter to that and all the content that you're seeing on, on Facebook, the top 10 things that are shared most consistently are pretty right wing things uh, on a, on a daily basis. And so I think those things need to be addressed too, because we look at a district like the fourth district, we're actually the number one district in America that people are engaged on Facebook, uh, both Democrats and Republicans. And so uh, those are some of the things I feel that, that, uh, need to be addressed. Uh, but I, I think the number one thing we have to do is uh, have, as an organization, uh, make sure we have year-round organizing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of donors who say, we thought we were buying something different than what we got. Obviously, thrilled that Joe Biden is going to be the president. 
Um, but, you know, that's against a backdrop of, in my opinion, somebody who historically will be seen not only as the worst president, but the most dangerous president we've ever had. So I mean, it's not like we were running against uh, uh, someone that uh, uh, behaved in a way that um, challenged us to uh, find differences. This This clearly was a person who was incredibly polarizing. Now, whether that works, I, I mean, Donald Trump, whether that works both on the positive and the negative, do, if Donald Trump's not on the ballot, do people show up? If Donald Trump does a rally in North Carolina for whoever is the, the Republican candidate for North Carolina um, uh, Senate seat, the open Senate seat, does that mean that Trump uh, can uh, kind of kind of have that influence the way he did um, when he was in office. It's going to be really challenging and interesting. But I I want to reiterate and and refocus attention on one thing that you said, JD, and that is we have to keep organized. I mean, if there is one part of the political system in the Democratic Party that is starving to death, it is our state party organizations. It's the groups that should be, you know, kind of um, putting together that kind of effort, being out there kind of aggressively talking about what Joe Biden's doing. That'll be great for, for Iowa or North Carolina or Indiana, you know, really being that spokesperson, that political voice. If you don't have that organization out there and you think it's all going to come top down, it's not. And all the money in the world, and we can all uh, look at that. Cal Cunningham had more money than what he needed. Look at Sarah Gideon up in Maine. She ended up, I think, with like twelve or fourteen million dollars um, uh, more uh, in her in her campaign coffers, and and none of that mattered. And so we're in a different time that needs a different kind of um, evaluation. And I couldn't agree with you more that that organization that's going to be the voice out there now promoting Joe Biden's practices that are going to be great for rural America. You know, that voice needs to be out there and it needs to be out there clearly. I did a lot of talk radio in Iowa, um, uh, you know, for Joe Biden, um, you know, calling into the radio stations and got a fair amount of pushback on being a Democrat. But I think um, the fact that I could kind of uh, talk about issues as, as, uh, as, uh, you know, talk about the concerns of American agriculture from a democratic perspective and, and have it resonate with, uh, uh, these conservative journalists is, is something, it can't be a one-off. It can't be just an election year. It's gotta be repeated and repeated and that takes resources. And so, you know, if we have any donors listening, you know, think about uh, kind of that next investment that people are going to make and where that investment needs to be. But to me, the, the critical part is exactly what you said, J.D., and that is building. If we're going to build back better, let's build our party back better, um, because in many places it has been decimated and you're not going to have the motivational um, uh glue that came with Donald Trump. Um, you know, exit polling tells us that a lot of people voted for Joe Biden, not because they were particularly interested in his policies. They just could not abide Donald Trump. And so, um, you know, we have to, we have to have that evaluation. So, so I think, um, Ashton, if there is something that, that we can do for North Carolina, 
um, from the perspective of one country. You know, we obviously spent some time with your young people. We're really proud of the work that we did there, uh, one country fund. Um, but but uh, what 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 if we were going to do something in the next four months? What would you tell us to do? I think um, our first thing we're going to be working on, and you all have great insight, would be to really look at the data about what happened at a pretty granular level in different communities across North Carolina. So I think that's our first step. And the second, which you all did one of that I would love to see more, is we really need a lot of focus group listening sessions particularly with rural and ex-urban voters who voted for Donald Trump and Roy Cooper so that we can learn more about what is able to break through in those communities to inform uh, how we have our U.S. Senate races and state legislative races and other races that are coming up in 2022. And the third piece is what J.D. was referencing. Um, You know, we had in our House caucus, we had more financial resources than we've ever had and it turned out not to be enough and that that we need those because we have to communicate and we need to be saying what else do we need to do and i really think there is a lot to jd's point about long-term organizing in some of these communities and you know sitting at the piggly wiggly and listening to what people care about on a regular basis not the month before the election uh and so i think that that those are kind of the three-pronged things that we're really pivoting to here in north carolina well and i think also um you know what what i'm gonna what i'm gonna say is we need to to do that Ashton, we need to to have those conversations. Then we need to communicate those conversations to you know kind uh, the, the people who control the Democratic brand nationally and say this is what we're hearing that that that, that the 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 great ideas that you have are not being translated or communicated as great ideas. They're being communicated in a very negative way. We've got to change how we message what we want to do for the country because. If you believe as I do, and I think that every every poll will bear this out, that the democratic policies are actually favored by the vast majority of people in this country. So why aren't we winning elections? And you could say, oh, we're not running good candidates. Oh, of course we're running good candidates. I will tell you, we ran great candidates. And so there is there is some real soul searching about that brand issue that we have so that not only can we have a conversation locally um, and people are willing to listen and consider voting for a Democrat, but that uh, so that we can, in fact, get a governing majority to implement these great ideas. And so we're going to, over the next um, couple months here, uh, take a deep dive at one country on what happened, be very, very honest about um, where we didn't do as well as what we thought we should have done, what we need to do in order to kind of reintroduce, as I've said in the past, the Democratic Party to rural America and rural America to the Democratic Party. Um, It's a two-way street. Um, uh, And um, hopefully... Um, as we build out for the midterms, um, we can see a real opportunity to uh, 
keep uh, the House in Democrat control so that um, Joe Biden can uh, implement so many of the really important uh, policies that he's advancing for rural America, but also build a governing majority in in the, the Senate. But more importantly, um, give give hope, give hope and opportunity to those local Democrats who are fighting so hard for our party, who, you know, the easiest thing in the world would be to throw up your hands and say, I'm not doing this anymore. And it, they're not getting paid. And if they were, they weren't getting paid enough. Um, the, the, the idea would be to uh, give them a reason to go out and tell people that they're Democrats and why they're Democrats and not be um, uh, put in that corner of uh, having words put in their mouth because of what the national party leaders are saying. So we're gonna continue to uh, have this conversation at One Country. I, I wanna close this out by saying how one of my great joys since leaving the Senate has been meeting all of you, has been able to lead with Joe Donnelly this effort um, uh, of one country and to um, make believers out of some people that we can in fact change outcomes. But we've said all along, it's not gonna happen in one election cycle and we're gonna continue to be on the team to build back better, but that involves building back the democratic brand better. So thanks so much, JD. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks so much, Ashton. Um, you guys have a very, very Merry Christmas and a very happy new year. And keep uh, involved and keep communicating what we can do, because I think if there's two places in particular where, where we can, in fact, make progress, it's in Iowa and North Carolina. And it is so important, especially, JD, that you continue to work with us as a board member, continue to help lead um, the, the rural effort in Iowa, and Ashton, that you continue to bring that voice of um, local politics and what your uh, state House of Representatives uh, and Senate need in order to, uh, as Democrats, in order to help um, build your opportunity for democratic leadership in your state. So thanks so much. 